0: CHAPTER Ten OF DIFFERENT GIRLS. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kate Follis DIFFERENT GIRLS. HARPER'S novelettes CORDELIA'S NIGHT OF ROMANCE by Julian Ralph Cordelia Angeline Mahoney was dressing, as she would say, to keep a date with a beau who would soon be waiting on the corner nearest her home in the big barracks tenement house. She smiled as she heard the shrill cat call of a lad in Forsyth Street. She knew it was Dutch Johnny's signal to Chrissy Bergen to come down and meet him at the street doorway. Presently she heard another call, a bird-like whistle and she knew which boy's note it was and which girl it called out of her home for a sidewalk stroll she smiled a trifle sadly and yet triumphantly she had enjoyed herself when she was no wiser and looked no higher than the younger barracks girls who took up the boys of the neighborhood as if there were no others she was in her own little dark inner room which she shared with only two others of the family arranging a careful toilet by kerosene light the photograph of herself in trunks and tights of which we heard in the story of elsa muller's hopeless love was before her among several portraits of actresses and salaried beauties she had taken them out from under the paper in the top drawer of the bureau she always kept them there and always took them out and spread them in the lamplight when she was alone in a room she glanced approvingly at the portrait of herself as a picture of which she had said to more than one girlish confidante that it showed as neat a figure and as perfectly shaped limbs as any actresses she had ever seen but the suggestion of a frown flitted across her brow as she thought how silly she was to have once been stage-struck how foolish to have thought that mere beauty could quickly raise a poor girl to a high place on the stage julia fogarty's case proved that julia and she were stage-struck together and where was julia or corinne belvedere as she now called herself she started well as a figurante in a comic opera company uptown but from that she dropped to a female minstrel troupe in the bowery and now louis tache told cordelia she was doing the skirt dance in the picnic parks for the sick baby fund and passing her hat around afterwards and evil was being whispered of her a pretty high price to pay for such small success and it must be true because she sometimes came home late at night in cabs which are devilish except when used at funerals it was cordelia who attracted elsa muller's sweetheart yank hurst to her side and left elsa to die yearning for his return and it was cordelia who threw hurst aside when he took to drink and stabbed the young man who during a mere walk from church took his place beside cordelia and yet cordelia was only ambitious not wicked few men live who would not look twice at her she was not of the stunted tenement type like her friends rosie mulvey and minnie beckham and julia moriarty she was tall and large and stately and yet plump in every outline moreover she had the style of an american girl and looked as well in five dollars worth of clothes all homemade except her shoes and stockings as almost any girl in richer circles it was too bad that she was called a flirt by the young men and a stuck-up thing by the girls when in fact she was merely more shrewd and calculating than the others who were content to drift out of the primary schools into the shops and out of the shops into haphazard matrimony cordelia was not lovable but not all of us are who may be better than she she was monopolized by the hope of getting a man but a mere alliance with trousers was not the sum of her hope they must jingle with coin it was strange then that she should be dressing to meet jerry donahue who was no better than gilly to the commissioner of public works drawing a small salary from a clerkship he never filled while he served the commissioner as a second left hand. But if we could see into Cordelia's mind, we would be surprised to discover that she did not regard herself as flesh and blood Mahoney, but as romantic Clarice Delamore, and she only thought of Jerry as James the butler the voracious reader of the novels of today will recall the story of clarice or only a lady's maid which many consider the best of the several absorbing tales that lula jane tilly has written cordelia had read it twenty times and almost knew it by heart her constant dream was that she could be another clarice and shape her life like hers the plot of the novel needs to be briefly told since it guided cordelia's course clarice was made to a wealthy society dowager james the butler fell in love with clarice when she first entered the household and she hearing the servants gossip about james's savings and salary had encouraged his attentions he pressed her to marry him but young nicholas duvesant came home from abroad to find his mother ill and clarice nursing her every day he noticed the modest rosy maid moving noiselessly about like a sunbeam her physical perfection profoundly impressed him in her presence he constantly talked to his mother about his admiration for healthy women each evening clarice reported to him the condition of the mother and on one occasion mentioned that she had never known ache, pain, or malady in her life. The young man often chatted with her in the drawing-room, and James the butler got his congé. Mr. Stuyvesant induced his mother to make Clarice her companion, and then he met her at picture exhibitions and in Central Park by chance, and next everyone will recall the exciting scene. He paid passionate court to her in the pink sewing room, where she had reclined on soft silken sofa pillows with her tiny slippers upon the head of a lion whose skin formed a rug before her. Clarice thought him unprincipled and repulsed him. When the widow recovered her health and went to Newport, the former maid met all society there a gifted lawyer fell a victim to clarice's charms and on a moonlit porch overlooking the sea warned her against young on learning that the roue had already attempted to weaken the girl's high principles to rescue her he made her his wife he was soon afterward elected mayor of new york but remained a suitor for his beautiful wife's approbation, waiting upon her in gilded halls with the fidelity of a knight of old. Cordelia adored Clarice and fancied herself just like her, beautiful, ambitious, poor, with the future of her own carving. Of course, such a case is phenomenal. No other young woman was ever so ridiculous. "'You have on your best dress, Cordelia,' said her mother it'll soon be wore out and you'll get no other with your father idle, and no one earning a penny but you and johnny and sarah rosebell where are you going i won't be gone long said cordelia half out of the hall door cordelia angeline darling said her mother my now don't let them be talking about ye wherever ye go shaking your skirts and ruling your eyes it don't look well for a girl to be making herself attractive oh mother not attractive and you know it with her head full of meeting jerry donahue cordelia tripped down the four flights of stairs to the street door as clarice she thought of jerry as james the butler in fact all the bows she had had of late were so many repetitions of the unfortunate james in her mind all the other characters in her acquaintance were made to fit more or less loosely into her romance life and she thought of everything she did as if it all happened in lula jane tilly's beautiful novel let the reader fancy if possible what a feat that must have been for a tenement girl who had never known what it was to have a parlor in our sense of the word who had never known courtship to be carried on indoors except in a tenement hallway and who had to imagine that the sidewalk flirtations of actual life were meetings in private parks that the wharves and public squares and tenement roofs where she had seen all the young men and women making love were heavily carpeted drawing-rooms broad manor house verandas and the fragrant conservatories of luxurious mansions but cordelia managed all this mental necromancy easily to her own satisfaction and now she was tripping down the bare wooden stairs beside the dark greasy wall and thinking of her future husband the rich mayor who must be either the bachelor police captain of the precinct or george fletcher the wealthy and unmarried factory owner nearby or perhaps senator eisenstone The district leader, who, she was forced to reflect, was an unlikely hero for a Catholic girl, since he was a Hebrew. But just as she reached the street door and decided that Jerry would do well enough as a mere temporary James the butler, and while Jerry was waiting for her on the corner, she stepped from the stoop directly in front of George Fletcher. "'Good evening.' said the wealthy young employer good evening mr fletcher it's very embarrassing said mr fletcher i know your given name cordelia isn't it but your last name oh thank you miss mahoney of course you know we met at that very queer wedding in the home of my little apprentice joe the lineman's wedding you know (laughs) cordelia giggled wasn't that a terrible strange wedding i think it was just terrible were you going somewhere oh not at all mr fletcher with another nervous giggle or two i have no plans on me mind only to get out of doors it's terrible hot ain't it may i take a walk with you miss mahoney it seemed to her that if he had called her clarice the whole novel would have come true then and there i can't be out very late mr fletcher said she with a giggle of delight are you sure i am not disarranging your plans had you no engagements oh no said she i was only going out with me lonely let us take just a short walk then said fletcher only you must be the man and take me in charge miss mahoney for i never walked with a young lady in my life oh certainly not you never did i don't think upon my honour miss mahoney i know only one woman in this city miss whitfield the doctor's daughter who lives in the same house with you and only one other in the world my aunt who brought me up in vermont well indeed did Cordelia know this all the neighbourhood knew it and most of the other girls were conscious of a little flutter in their breasts when his eyes fell upon them in the streets for it was the gossip of all who knew his workmen that the prosperous ladder-builder lived in his factory where his had spent the life of a monk without any society except of his canaries his books and his workmen well i declare sighed cordelia how terrible cunning you men are to get up such a story to make all the girls think you're romantic but oh how happy cordelia was At last she had met her prince, the future mayor, her sultan of the gilded halls. In that humid, sticky, midsummer heat among the tenements, every other woman dragged along as if she weighed a thousand pounds, but Cordelia felt like a feather floating among clouds the babble did the reader ever walk up forsyth street on a hot night into second avenue and across to avenue a and up to tompkins park the noise of the tens of thousands on the pavements makes a babble that drowns the racket of the carts and cars The talking of so many persons, the squalling of so many babies, the mothers scolding and slapping every third child, the yelling of the children at play, the shouts and loud repartee of the men and women—all these noises, rolled together in the air, makes a steady hum and roar that not even the breakers on a hard sea-beach can equal. You might say that the tenements were empty as only the very sick who could not move were in them for miles and miles they were bare of humanity each flat unguarded and unlocked with the women on the sidewalks with the youngest children in arms or in perambulators while those of the next sizes romped in the streets with the girls and boys of fourteen giggling in groups in the doorways the age and places where sex first asserts itself and only the young men and women missing for they were in the parks on the wharves and on the roofs all frolicking and love-making and every house front was like a russian stove expending the heat it had sucked from the all-day sun and every door and window breathed bad air air without oxygen rich and rank and stifling But Cordelia was Clarice, the future mayoress. She did not know she was picking a tiresome way around the boys at Leapfrog and the mothers and babies and baby carriages. She did not notice the smells or feel the bumps she got from those who ran against her she thought she was in the blue drawing-room at newport where a famous hungarian count was trilling the soft prelude to a chardis on the piano and mr suvedance had just introduced her to the future mayor who was spellbound by her charms and was by her side a captive she reached out her hand and it touched mr fletcher's arm just as a ragamuffin propelled himself head first against her and Mr. Fletcher bent his elbow, and her wrist rested in the crook of his arm. Oh, her dream was true. Her dream was true. Mr. Fletcher, on the other hand, was hardly in a more natural relation. He was trying to think how the men talked to women in all the literature he had read. The myriad jokes about the fondness of girls for ice cream recurred to him, and he risked everything on their fidelity to fact. "'Are you fond of ice cream?' he inquired. "'Oh, no, I don't think,' said Cordelia. "'What are you asking next? What girl ain't crushed on ice cream I'd like to know?' "'Do you know of a nice place to get some?' "'Do I?' the dutchman's on the avenue another block up is the finest in the city you get more that is you get everything way up in g there with cakes on the side and it don't cost no more than anywhere else so to the germans they went and clarice fancied herself at the casino in newport all the girls around her who seemed to be trying to swallow the spoons took on the guise of blue-blooded bells, while the noisy boys and young men, calling out, "'Hully, Jay, fellas, look at Nifty getting out de window without payin," And, "'Say, Telly, what kind of cream is dat you're your face wit?" Seemed to her, so many millionaires and the exquisite sons thereof to mr fletcher the german's backyard saloon with its green lattice walls and its rusty dead christmas trees and painted butter appeared uncommonly brilliant and fine the fact that whenever he took a swallow of water the ice-cream turned to cold candle-grease in his mouth made no difference he was happy and cordelia was in an ecstasy by the time he had paid a shock-headed bare-armed german waiter and they were again on the avenue side by side she put out her hand and rested it on his arm again to make sure she was clarice one would like to know whether in the breasts of such as these familiar environment exerts any remarkable influence if so it could have been in but one direction for that part of town was one vast nursery everywhere on every side were the swarming babies a baby for every flagstone in the pavements babies and babies and little besides babies except larger children and the mothers perambulators with two even three baby passengers mothers with as many as five children trailing after them babies in broad baggy laps babies at the breast babies creeping toppling screaming overflowing into the gutters such was the unbroken scene from the big barracks to tompkins square a eh, to harlem and to the east river and almost to broadway in the park as if the street scenes had been merely preliminary the paths were alive wriggling with babies of every age from the newborn to the children in pigtails and knickerbockers and lo these were already paired in practising at courtship the walk that cordelia was taking was amid a fever a delirium of maternity a rhapsody a baby's opera if one considered its noise in that vast region no one inquired whether marriage was a failure nothing that is old and long beloved and human is a failure there In Tompkins Park, while they dodged babies and stepped around babies and over them, they saw many happy couples on the settees, and they noticed that often the men held their arms around the waists of their sweethearts. Girls, too, in other instances, leaned loving heads against the young men's breasts, blissfully regardless of publicity. They passed a young man and a woman kissing passionately, as kissing is described by unmarried girl novelists. Cordelia thought it no harm to nudge Mr. Fletcher and whisper, Sakes alive! They're right in it, ain't they? It's funny when you feel that way, ain't it? As many another man who does not know the frankness and simplicity of the plain people might have done, Mr. Fletcher misjudged the girl. He thought her the sort of girl he was far from seeking. He grew instantly cold and reserved, and she knew, vaguely, that she had displeased him i think people who make love in public should be locked up said he some folks want everybody put away that enjoys themselves said cordelia then lest she had spoken too strongly she added present company not intended mr fletcher but you said that like them mission folks that come around praising themselves and telling us all we're wicked "'And do you think a girl can be good, who behaves so in public?' "'I know plenty that's done it,' said she, "'and I don't know any girls but what's good. "'They ain't got wings, maybe, but you don't want to monkey with them neither.' He recollected her words for many a year afterward and pondered them, and perhaps they enlarged his understanding. She also often thought of his condemnation of love-making out of doors— kissing in public especially promiscuous kissing she knew to be a debatable pastime but she also knew that there was not a flat in the big barracks in which a girl could carry on a courtship fancy her attempting it in her front room with the room choked with people with the baby squalling and her little brothers and sisters quarrelling with her mother entertaining half a dozen women visitors with tea or beer, and with a man or two dropping in to smoke with her father. Parlor courtship was to her, like precise English, a thing only known in novels. The thought of novels floated her soul back into the dream state. I think Cordelia's a pretty name, said Fletcher, cold at heart but struggling to be companionable. I don't said Cordelia. I'm not at all crushed on it. Your name's terrible pretty. I think my three names looks like a map of Ireland when they're written down. I know a killin' name for a girl. It's Clarice. Maybe some day I'll give you a dare. I'll double dare you maybe, to call me Clarice. Oh, if he only would, she thought. If he would only call her so now but she forgot how unelastic his strange routine of life must have left him and she did not dream how her behaviour in the park had displeased him cordelia is a pretty name he repeated at any rate i think we should try to make the most and best of whatever name has come to us i wouldn't sail under false colours for a minute Oh said she with a giggle to hide her disappointment you're so terrible wise when you talk them big words you can pass me in a walk anxious to display her great conquests to the other girls of the barracks neighborhood cordelia persuaded mr fletcher to go to what she called the dock to enjoy the cool breath of the river all the piers and wharves are called docks by the people those which are semi-public and are rented to miscellaneous excursion and river steamers are crowded nightly the wharf to which our couple strolled was a mere flooring above the water edged with a stout string-piece which formed a bench for the mothers they were there in groups some seated on the string-piece with babes in arms or with perambulators before them and others facing these, standing and joining in the gossip, and swaying to and fro to soothe their little ones. Those who gave their offspring the breast did so publicly, unembarrassed by a modesty they would have considered false. A few youthful couples, boy by girl and girl by boy, sat on the string piece and whispered or bandied fun with those other lovers who patrolled the flooring of the wharf. A gang of rude young men, toughs, Walked up and down, teasing the girls, wrestling, scuffling, and roaring out bad language. Troops of children played at leapfrog, high spy, jackstones, beanbag, hopscotch, and tag. At the far end of the pier, some young men and women waltzed while a lad on the string piece played for them on his mouth organ a steady cool vivifying breeze from the bay swept across the wharf and fanned all the idlers and blew out of their heads almost all recollection of the furnace-like heat of the town cordelia forgot her desire to display her conquest she forgot her true self She likened the wharf to that lordly veranda overlooking the sea, where the future mayor begged Clarice to be his bride. She knew just what she would say when her prince spoke his lines. She and Mr. Fletcher were just about to seat themselves on the great rim of the wharf, when an uproar of the harsh, frog-like voices of half-grown men caused them to turn around. They saw Jerry Donahue striding towards them, but with difficulty because half a dozen lads and youths were endeavouring to hold him back that's mr fletcher they said it ain't his fault jerry he's dead square he's a gent jerry the politician's gilly tore himself away from his friends the gang of toughs gathered behind the others jerry planted himself in front of cordelia evidently he did not know the submissive part he should have played in cordelia's romance james the butler made no outbreak but here was jerry angry through and through you didn't keep the date with me he began oh jerry i did i tried to but you cordelia was red with shame the hell you did wasn't i here said mr fletcher you can't swear at this lady why wouldn't i jerry asked what would you do he's right jerry leave him be see said the chorus of Jerry's friends. "'Ah!' snarled Jerry. "'Let him leave me be, then. "'Cordelia, I heard you was a dead fraud, "'and now I know it, "'and I'm a-telling you so straight, see. "'I was a waitin' cross der street, "'and I seen you come out and meet dis mug, "'and you never turned your head "'to see was I on me post. "'I seen dat, "'and I'm a tellin' your friend "'just de kind of a racket you give me, "'de same's you've given a hundred other fellers.' den if he likes it he knows what he's gittin jerry was so angry that he all but pushed his distorted face against that of the humiliated girl as he denounced her mr fletcher gently moved her backward a step or two and advanced to where she had stood that will do he said to jerry i want no trouble but you've said enough if there's more say it to me Ah exclaimed the gilly expectorating theatrically over his shoulder me friends is on your side and i ain't pickin' no muss with you but she's got to front of der city hall to do me like she done and say fellers den she was goin to give me a song and dance but lookin for me bah she knows my opinion of her see the crowd parted to let mr fletcher finish his first evening's gallantry to a lady by escorting cordelia to her home it was a chilly and mainly a silent journey cordelia falteringly apologized for jerry's behaviour but she inferred from what mr fletcher said that he did not fully join her in blaming the angry youth mr fletcher touched her fingertips in bidding her goodnight and nothing was said of a meeting in the future. Clarice was forgotten, and Cordelia was not only herself again, but quite a miserable self, for her sobs awoke the little brother and sister who shared her bed. End of Cordelia's Night of Romance by Julian Ralph.